0: We talked a lot today about home care after a Manitoba man had home care arrive after his wife died. So he is speaking out to try to hold the government accountable. And on the subject of home care, what's the solution? How do we make it better? We talked about the 15-minute city and the associated conspiracy today. Urbanist, columnist, architect Brent Bellamy joined us to break it all down. What is a 15-minute city? The feds have banned TikTok from its government-issued devices. We speak to somebody who describes it as the Chinese spy balloon of the internet. And has a server ever asked you, so, you got any plans after this? We had some fun today talking about the dumb standard talk lines that drive us bonkers. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Tuesday, February 28th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Final day of February. March begins tomorrow. Woo! That's exciting. It is. Although we had a couple of people asking us yesterday, so is the parking ban done? Because normally this is the last day for the overnight parking
1: ban. And? In theory, no, (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, they changed it now. They changed it to what used to be the snow route parking ban. I think they call it the winter. It's the
1: winter route or the winter ban, and it's supposed to go. In-
0: to, indefinitely, it, basically. Well, it's till
1: February 28th or until the weather is good. And many might say, well, the weather is pretty good. Like, are you out there actively plowing right now? And why can't I park on my street? And are you still really going to tow me when it's minus nine? And do we even have any snow in the forecast, et cetera?
0: Yeah, they're waiting for a 14-day stretch uh, in a forecast where it's mild weather and no snow before making the decision. Well, in the long-term forecast, we do have some snow, uh, potentially around March 10th, March 11th. So if that's what they're waiting for, then who knows how long this thing can go. So that means you can't park on those designated streets between 2 a.m. and 7 a.m.
1: Yeah, wh- the old wh- system was today, right? The new mm-hmm. system is any time... Anytime,
2: <laughs> With that criteria, the overnight parking ban could be in place through April.
0: Yeah. Especially if we go on what happened last
2: year. May. First week of May.
1: <laughs> so tell me, and I'm just curious because I, I haven't, I don't live in the city. And so it, the issue would be, wouldn't you rather just the ban know that the ban is out there until they say it's not there? Like to lift it and then put it back and then lift it and put it back means you really have to know your zone and all the rest. And I think we realized people did not understand how that all worked, right?
2: Yeah, well, the residential areas, yes, you need to know your zone, but it's on the major, major stretches. And, of course, Winnipeg has uh, all of a sudden got, you know, Osborne Village is a prime example of, of an area that's changed so much over the last 10, 15 years. You've got so much more as densely populated as it was forever. It's even more so densely populated. And uh, I can tell you this, that... Uh, parking is at a premium, and in particular, in the overnight hours during the overnight parking ban on those major routes, you can park in the summer, but in the wintertime, when that bans in overnight, you can't, Brett, and that and that's a huge issue for thousands of people in different parts of the city, in particular, Osborne Village.
0: Yep, and I remember when we first got here, when we moved from Polo Park to 201 Portage, I would, I would sometimes bring my car to work, and I would just park on the street, because they had that parking amnesty mm-hmm. where you got an hour for free, so I'd, I, you know, I'd be able to, I'd park my car in the streets, I'd, I wouldn't have to pay until nine a.m. I'd, I'd pay from nine until ten, and then I'd go downstairs and move it and get another free hour, and uh, then I forgot, I kept, I kept bringing it to work and forgot that the the ban was in place. Thankfully, I didn't get any tickets. But uh, that essentially, I sort of stopped bringing my car to work. I know I can park next door in the parking lot, but I'm cheap, <laughs> so I don't bother bringing my car to work. But you can't really. There's really nowhere you can park downtown. Every street is is a, snow a route. route. Yeah. So unless
1: you, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going to tell you how you could. Sur- <laughs> never mind. <laughs> okay. Say, Do you know oh, how to circumvent that? Not us? necessarily. Never mind. Nothing. Oh. <laughs> Put your head down, Loren. Okay. Say nothing.
0: All right. So if you are curious about that, the answer is who knows when the, the the overnight parking ban is going to be lifted. So again, 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. daily, you can't park on those designated streets. And it, speaking of bans... This is interesting. Lorena, we're going to be talking about this more after 7 o'clock with our social media prof. I know that's not technically her title, but that's what we like to refer to her as sometimes. TikTok, banned from government phones on the federal level.
1: Yeah, so if you're a federal government worker and you have a government-issued phone, as of today, you can't have TikTok on it. It's been banned, and the United States government, Congress approved this recently. European Commission did this for its employees in the States. The military also have this ban, and so we're going to get more into TikTok after seven. I have a couple thoughts on, on this. I I do really want to know. Uh, when I was emailing with the social media prof last night, Greg, she said it's basically TikTok is like the Chinese air balloon <laughs> of the internet, and that you know there's that those concerns about spying. But also, it made me think if you have a government issued phone. Should you have TikTok on it anyway? Should
2: you have TikTok? Should you have Facebook? Should you have Instagram? Should you have Twitter? Right. For
1: our work, we'd argue if you have a work-issued phone in some spaces, you need the social media apps to do your job. And that might be the case for some federal government workers as well. But TikTok, I don't know. I'm not on it really. It's one of those apps that I can't see what the value would be to your work. It's purely.
2: I can tell you what it is. Distracting from your work. There you go. You nailed it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, TikTok. I, I had it for a little while. And uh, I I got rid of it just because uh, I've sort of sort of feeling social media fatigue. It is a fun app. It's a distract. If you if you're just looking to tumble down a rabbit hole of complete randomness, there's all kinds of fun stuff on TikTok. Whether it's uh, as they call them life hacks or just random scenes from the streets of Winnipeg, or uh, but for the most part, it's uh, I always end up seeing the, the people just dancing and doing lip syncing, and I think like. This is bringing zero value to my life.
1: <laughs> and, and there's major privacy concerns with it based on these right. bans that are happening. right? Like, they're, like we're going to get into this after seven. It's not just them banning it from government issued phones. Like they're actually lo- launching an, an investigation as to whether or not that there's major privacy concerns, period, which could lead to like a further ban of its use in Canada. Oh. There, there are big concerns with this. It's not a dancing video app. Home care has been a huge part of the conversation as we look to find ways to get people out of hospital and back home and be more healthy at home. As we talk about aging at home, home care comes up regularly. If you have someone who uses home care, if you use home care or you'd like to see changes to home care, you're going to to want to listen to this next story. We want to hear from you at 780-6868 because this revolves around a Winnipeg man who recently lost his partner to cancer. And he's now making plans to address the Legislative Assembly on behalf of families who've also lost loved ones while in home care because, well, in the end, he really didn't get any home care. Global's Rosanna Hempel explains.
3: An empty bedroom now sits at the end of the hall where Eric Disgepper's wife spent her final days.
4: I find it actually quite comforting being in this room here, which was her room, like a spirit is still here.
3: Catherine Ellis died of pancreatic cancer February 18th without having gotten the home care she was promised more than five weeks earlier. Disgepper says the workers finally arrived days after she'd passed. he isn't alone in his heartbreak. Since going public, Deskepper says others have shared their experiences with him.
4: I just started crying. My heart just started falling apart, realizing how much hardship these people are going through.
3: Deskepper now feels compelled to address MLAs directly on their behalf. The Manitoba minister responsible for seniors and long-term care wasn't available for an interview on Monday. Instead, a spokesperson offered condolences to Diskepper in a statement. They said the province's senior strategy announced last week earmarked an additional $14 million to expand the self and family managed care program and $1.3 million more for palliative care services.
4: In these difficult times for you and your family, be assured of our sincere condolences and our deepest sympathy.
3: Diskepper says a condolence letter from the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority isn't helping with his grief.
4: Sincerely, a printed signature, some titles.
3: Diskepper says he'd already filed a complaint of wrongdoing against the WRHA with the Manitoba Ombudsman. Meanwhile, a date hasn't been set for Diskepper to speak at the legislature, but he hopes it will bring dramatic improvements to home care.
4: I know that if Catherine would be right now here, she would be telling me to keep going. She would be telling me you're doing the right thing.
2: Rosanna
3: Hempel, Global News.
2: Well, first of all, I want to acknowledge uh, the uh, courage and the community-mindedness of Mr. Diskepper in his time of grief and in and thinking of others and, and taking his experience, bringing it into the public eye, sharing it with us all. And to hear him speak of how he's concerned about others and how his experiences had him thinking about what others might be going through. So uh, just an absolute uh, standing ovation for Mr. DeSkepper in my mind for for doing this on behalf of of those who may not even be in the system yet, Loren. We know that that patients that uh, leave hospital quicker and get into their home following any sort of procedure, surgery, illness do better when they are at home we also know that aging in places is is something that we not only have been discussing but is something that most of us would prefer to do and so the idea that the resources surprise surprise can't keep keep up with demand is important something that needs to be brought into the public eye and as always I think uh, someone who's prepared to share their experience, highlights that and, and makes it more impactful.
1: And, the, and I can't speak to the situation in terms of how it happened that you he applied for home care for his wife, uh, you know, in the Christmas period in December and five weeks after he asked for it, asked for help they arrive after his wife dies. I don't know what happened there, but I will say it, it, there is a communication problem. We know there's staffing issues. We know wages are a big part of the problem. I, I know the union has spoken out to say there, that lots of home care workers are leaving their job because benefits and salaries don't keep up. The pension plan is poor. They have to often pay for their own gas. And if they do, you know, gas prices are bad. There's all sorts of reasons why home care is a really challenging job. But at the at the very least, the communication could have been better. At the very least, could have said in the hospital, you know what? We don't know if we'll get home care to you within the next five weeks. Maybe they didn't have the people. But where was the – could they have been more forthcoming with that information? Why wasn't it after the fact that he learned that that someone might finally show up? So at the very least, you know, if you're leaving hospital and someone says you will get home care – are they being honest about when that might happen?
2: How do you tout this system as something that's an answer to better care, better outcomes, a better uh, a stress relief from, on the healthcare system itself, and then not invest in it? I don't understand. It, it feels like, you know how Manitoba touts itself as the, the capital of road transportation. We've got all these incredible trucking companies, and I, I'm not disparaging them in any way, but yet we have one of the worst highway systems anywhere in Canada, I don't understand why we, we talk this talk about, yet. Yeah, this is a terrific investment and this is something that we ought to be doing. Yet once the rubber meets the road, pardon the pun, we refuse to invest the money required to not only get the system going, but to keep it running. And, and God forbid we create something that's second to none or something that's better than anything anywhere else. Why are we always running to catch up?
1: One of our listeners texting just now to say that this story boggles their mind. They say earlier this month, my father-in-law was released from HSE to palliative care at our home. Caregivers were there four to six times a day every day. But after he passed away, it took four or five days until they got their message that their services were no longer needed. So there's something wrong. At the very least, forget the staffing, forget the salaries, forget the benefits, forget the pension. Communication. Let's just be better communicators.
2: And to everybody working in that sector... Cheers to you. Three cheers, five cheers, ten cheers. Uh, just uh, the job that you do uh, for others is just uh, second to none.
0: It's Mackling McGarry McNabb. We have a $20 gift card for San Lucia Pizza to give away, and it has to do, Loren, with a question that was asked that I think many of us have a- have been asked and thought, why are you asking me this?
1: Yes, so I get this text from our Boss, colleague, and friend Heather last night. And I can tell, you know, you can tell someone's just steamed in a text, even though it's words. She's out for supper with her family. She's got two young kids, you know, I think two under eight, maybe it's, you know, five and eight, I think are the ages. You're out for supper. It's like 6 p.m., and inevitably the server comes up and says, Got any plans for tonight? And your thought as a mom of two young kids or a dad or whoever you are is like, this is the plan. I barely barely got them out the door. There was mitts and toques and neck warmers and boots and I'm sweating to get here and I've come out for supper. It's 7 p.m. on a Monday. This is the plan. There are no plans. Stop asking me if I have any plans. And so it got us thinking about the idea of talking about the, the phrases that get thrown out, like those throwaway statements or customer service lines that just irk you, and that would be one of them. Got any plans tonight?
0: Yeah, what are you going to do on a Monday? We're going to take the kids home, and then we're going to head out to Booty Shake Monday at the Palomino Club. Yes! <laughs> 204-780-6868 for a chance to win that $20 gift card for Santa Lucia pizza. Mackling, you worked in the hospitality industry and restaurants. Was that one of your go-to lines? Mm,
2: you got to feel it out. I didn't have any real go-to lines. I, I At least I hope I didn't. I tried to personalize it as much as i could and so uh the one that that always got me and still gets me as a customer is uh can i get you something to drink
0: what do you think (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes, I think you can. At the very least, I'll have some water. Uh, this is the way I always used to, when I was training the new staff and, and when I was trying to convey a hospitality to, uh, to my, my employees and to my partners, uh, it was, you know, when you come to my house, I offer you something very specific. I offer you, hey, I've got uh, cold beer, Uh, Jackie's got some wine open, do you like red or white? You know, when you you welcome someone into your home and that sense of hospitality, I'm offering you options and that's the way I conveyed things and so when I get the old, can I get you a drink? It's like, oh yeah, I've got a server here that um, just is an order taker, isn't really interested in making me feel welcome. So, yep. You can throw that line right out the window, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Good. It's Good. a tough job. Like you're darned if you do, and you know maybe you do have big plans that night. I get there's a server out there saying, but sometimes people have great plans. Read
2: the but, room. <laughs> but
1: sometimes you don't. This isn't just about you know the stock lines that servers use. It could be you know your the guy pumping your gas, or when you walk into a. You know, Hi hey guys. Cold enough for you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Every time I go to my vape shop, every time, and I get it, you know, they're they're youngsters working there, they're all in their early 20s, but every single time I go to buy juice, so you got any uh, plans after this? You got any, what are you doing? What are you up to tonight? I'm like... Dude, I'm going to bed. Like, <laughs> you know I get up at 2.30 in the morning, 2.45 in the morning. It's 4 in the afternoon. I'm they tired. They do know that, though. Uh, they do know. They, most of them know know me by now.
1: What's going on in that vape shop where they get better answers, though? Like, is vaping a gateway? Like, is a magical door open after you buy the vape and plans abound?
0: I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, But, yeah, maybe maybe they're asking because they're hoping for better. They're like, oh, Brett's got lead such a boring life. Maybe this is the day (laughs) where he says, "Oh, I'm going on a wild rampage party tonight. they are going to burn the city down." We've
5: got odds in the back in the staff room as to when you say that,
0: (laughs) Bliters. What about you? Yeah, like if
5: somebody says that to you, they'll be like, um, "You know, what are you? What are you up to today?" They they don't care. Like, it, I'm, I'm telling you right now, like, maybe there'll be you'll, you'll catch a very small amount of them that actually are very interested. It's just like an awkward thing where you're stuck. You're kind of waiting for the machine to finish up. You're waiting for, uh, you know, everything to go through or the, you to ring it up. And it's kind of just like you're kind of just standing there looking at the person. You're like, oh, so you got any plans? D- I don't care. Like, ju- I, don't pretend that you care. <laughs> Don't insult me because you don't care. I don't care to tell you. So just, let's just, why can't we just sit there in silence? <laughs> I, <laughs> my best though. elevator rides are sitting, standing on opposite sides in complete silence.
1: Oh, you would hate me then. I oh, learned, I know. I like, love randomly like, asking people no, things
5: in No, nowadays. no, no, no. Like this, and I, and I. and again, I'm not a small, like I don't, it's like dealing with small, t- it's like oh, the weather and oh yeah, it's cold out there, oh yeah, it's like... I, listen why can't we just be why can't we just be quiet? Let's just let's just stand here in 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 silence solidarity silence. Cold I'm, enough for I you, I Cam. Lo- yeah, it's it's the same stuff. Like I go through this like six times a day I have to talk about the weather with people. And oh, I can't wait not, to walk up to Cam and be uh, like, oh see, Cam. Heather Steele. Looks like snow. Yeah, the boss Heather Steele, she makes fun of me all the time about this, <laughs> and she's gonna I'm gonna get it today from her, if that's for sure. But it's like yeah, it's just you it's, know what it's I It's not do? tiring. It's not it's not like it's tiring, but it's just it's just the same thing over and over again. And I have like I always have to think of new stuff to say and I don't want to spend my my active mind having to like Oh, now I gotta say this. Now I gotta say that. I just let's just. I just want to stand here
0: in silence. Yeah, just I'd, leave me alone. The, when people will do that weather question, I will often go into full detail. It's like, oh, you want to talk about the weather? Hey, <laughs> well, yeah, you know what? It's going to be a bit milder today, <laughs> but it's going to cool off again by Wednesday, and then looking at the two weeks, it uh, looks like we might get some snow. Yeah, we're not going to be golfing anytime soon. <laughs> Are you happy? Asked me that question. No. <laughs> Marissa in for Jeff Braun. What about you?
6: All right. Well, I'm not sure if any of this has happened to you, but when you come back from having unexpected time off, maybe something came up and then someone says to you, oh, my God, you're alive. Are you OK? <laughs> and it's like I just find it kind of nosy because most of the time like you don't want to take the time off. But it's usually something personal. And if they don't already know the answer. Well, then it's probably not important to them, number one. And they probably don't want to
1: know the answer. You probably don't want to talk about it. It's true. If they haven't text called or whatever while you've been gone, then they don't... It's like, oh, now you care. You thought I was dead, and now you care.
5: People ask so many questions that they don't even care to hear the answers to. They just ask them.
6: Well, speaking of that, people before, I've asked someone their fantasy lineup. And they're like, oh, you don't want to know. Why are you asking me that? I'm like, I do want to know. Tell me. How much money did you spend? Why did you do it? You know." But that's happened to me where someone's like... Oh, you don't want to know the answer to my fantasy lineup. Oh, when somebody like, oh, unloads on
5: you, like all of a sudden you ask a tiny question, all of a sudden they get into their entire personal life and how devastating everything in their life is, and how the, it's like, oh, that's that's my biggest. Well, what would
1: you ask? How are you? Maybe just, you like, just like, hey, how's I'm it going? And then know? it's
5: just like, oh my god, you have no idea what I went through today. And then I'm like, <laughs> then I want to run away as quickly as I
0: possibly can <laughs> yeah,
5: because, wait to have like, God, like, uh
0: there are certain people in this building. Uh, some of them don't work here anymore, but I would avoid them specifically for that because I knew that if I yeah, even made eye contact that five to ten minutes were about to disappear uh, so I would just go take the long <laughs> way around to avoid talking to that person and uh, Jeff Forte what about you? Okay this one I'm gonna go back to my teenage years and uh Greg Loren listen up here it's uh you know I'd
7: be sitting on the couch and my parents come up to me and they'd be like so uh what'd you learn today? <laughs> it's like really I'm sitting at home I'm watching TV and now you're gonna make me think Think back to school and education. I just yep. want to relax. So then I'd always just throw out nothing. Oh,
1: it drives me nuts. I do ask this question. <laughs> and then I have to go, nothing? All day was nothing?
0: It's just easier that way to say yeah. nothing. <laughs> go away, Mom. Go away, Dad. It's a hugely popular video app. But as of this morning, any federal government employee with a government-issued phone will no longer be able to access TikTok on it.
1: So obviously those employees can still use it on their personal device. But as of today, TikTok has been banned on those mobile devices issued by the government and the chief information officer of Canada actually saying it presents an unacceptable level of risk to privacy and security. And so Canada's decision comes just days after the European Commission announced an outright ban on the use of the app on its work phones and TikTok. Well, the Congress in the U.S. has also banned it on government phones there, including the military, Greg.
2: So Amy Morrison is a digital literacy expert and associate English professor at the University of Waterloo and joins us from time to time, and we look for excuses to have Amy join us. Uh, What's going on here, Amy? Uh, Is TikTok the ultimate digital Trojan horse?
8: It's really not. We can think of um, TikTok as kind of the Chinese spy balloon of the internet right um, it doesn't seem to be doing any harm currently but it's really big uh... it's floating over all of our territory and we're not sure who's in charge of it and what they want right so TikTok is an incredibly popular social media service. Um, it's heavily, heavily used um, at ever-increasing rates by younger Canadians, um, and it's penetrating also into the more adult market as well. Um, it collects the same kinds of information that all social media sites collect, which we would do well to maybe have a privacy freakout about. TikTok can see um, depending on the permissions you give it, and most of us just click our way through these, it can see your um, ad ID number, it knows the device number of your phone, it can track your um, general or specific location, and it can have access to the contact information that you hold in your phone about your own social network. Uh, It can also see sometimes which websites you browse when you are not on the app, and that's almost as much information as Facebook collects about you. But the main difference here is that TikTok is a Chinese-owned company um, in the territory of China under government control, uh, not directly, but in the sense that all companies in China must answer to data requests and data demands from the government and the other companies that we tend to use their social media sites are American companies.
1: So it's not the sorry, Amy, it's not the data it's getting per se, because if it's almost the same as Facebook, you might be, well, what's the big deal? It's the who's getting the data.
8: That's right, and what the data protection laws are in China and what our um, diplomatic relations are with China. So um, we have seen in the past few years a crackdown by the Chinese government onto its own sort of homegrown internet um, service providers and its own tech companies, those are more and more sounding less like Western tech entrepreneur-led companies and more and more like agents of the state in their public statements. We know that China has a heavy digital surveillance program on its own citizens through these um, kinds of devices and these kinds of software services. And we know as well that there have been data breaches where um, TikTok employees have accessed and compromised the telephones and data information of American journalists. Um, ByteDance, the parent company, claims that this was rogue employees who have been fired, but it's worrisome.
0: So Canada's federal privacy watchdog has already launched a joint investigation into this short-form video streaming app. So where could this go?
8: Um, Well, this will hopefully open up a much broader discussion about what Types of information all of these social media companies collect about us when we put them on our phones. Our phones are the most sort of intimate and personally revealing documents that we have about us right now. You know, it's not like giving away your social insurance number is bad and photocopying your birth certificate is is bad, but on our phone we have banking information, we have maps of our social graphs, we have our personal emails, we have direct messages, we usually have photos of our ID that we keep with us when we travel. All of these things that live in our phone are usually the most Um, private and important information that we have about ourselves um, and it ought to worry all of us the number of permissions that the apps we download ask of us right wants to access this wants to access the other we just click agree 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 um, and then wonder why you know you buy a toilet at Home Depot and then all you see for the next two months is ads for that exact same toilet everywhere you go online.
2: Uh, Amy, you mentioned the the idea that we we, we typically click through all these different permissions and and the ones that we need to give in order to uh, sign up for an app and install it on our phone and to use it. But you mentioned something that I don't know if I've ever heard before, an ad ID number. Is this something that's personal to me and who on earth assigned it to me?
8: Yeah, it uh, travels with your um, device and some other information about you. It's when companies are able to sort of put together profiles of if you're the type of person who's buying this type of toilet at Home Depot, but also this type of shoe from from Columbia, there's a, a number. The cookies that devices um, and websites place on your um, travels through the internet, these cookies um, attach to a specific ID that links to you. So it, it can be linked to your phone device ID. It can be linked to a browser you're using. It can be linked to um, the, the web address that you're um, currently um, working from. But there's a, there's a reason that when you travel all over the Internet, all of the ads seem to be the same, depending even if you're on your phone or on your computer. Um, this kind of follows you around. You can, you can alter some of the information that gets collected through the privacy settings on an Apple iPhone, for example, or reading a bit more carefully through the permissions. On every website that asks you to just click through on its cookie policy, usually if you go through that and, and look at your options, you will be able to turn off some of that tracking and some of those cookies.
0: Before we let you go, Amy, just uh, like 30 seconds, what do you think of TikTok?
8: Oh, sure. TikTok is great. I love to watch TikTok videos. I mean, it's very easy to sort of like want to watch two videos, and then all of a sudden it's like 45 minutes later, and you don't remember (laughs) what day of the week it is, right? It's a very fun and addictive little Um, software. It just the videos are so short uh, and they just autoplay, 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 autoplay. Um, It is very diverting (laughs) to watch it. I know most of my students now claim to have taken the app off of their phones because it's just too easy to spend a ton of time on TikTok.
0: Amy Morrison, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure. And Greg nailed it. We always look for excuses. As soon as we see anything, we get a sniff of something interesting social media-wise. We're like, Amy?
8: I get up in the morning for this. I wouldn't be on the phone this early with anybody but you guys.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much, Amy Morrison, digital literacy expert and associate English professor at the University of Waterloo. We're talking about the throwaway lines that drive you bonkers, whether it's in a customer service situation, like when you're asked by the clerk or your server, so you got any plans after this? Uh, Or it could just be stuff you hear in daily conversation, or maybe it's something you say that you realize Drives other people crazy, like the word honestly or literally, which I can't stand personally, or no offense, but like, okay, here we go. What are you about to say? But what does Jackie have to say? Jackie said that she was in a drugstore one day and the young man in front of me bought
2: condoms. The cashier said to him, Good for you. Have a good night.
0: The poor guy was so embarrassed. He shouldn't be embarrassed. Good for you, Bud.
1: Plus, you're taking proper protection.
0: Yeah, he's being responsible. He's about to have. He's about to have a good night. Being mm-hmm. responsible. That happened to me actually. I remember New Year's Eve, late '90s. Was with uh, I was dating somebody, and we hadn't gone that road down that road yet. You we had finally, a sense. We finally decided to do it, so I had to walk down. It's like two in the morning. I had to walk down Bemina Highway. To, to buy the the necessary supplies. And the clerk gave me that sort of nod because he was like, okay, it's going down, eh? And then I kind of give him the nod saying, yep, happy new year. <laughs> so... Yeah. And then one from an um, you love the elevator conversations, Loren, what does this listener say?
1: Good morning. I'm an elevator tech and the line I always get when I'm in the elevator is when someone walks in and says, is it safe? Yeah, because I want to ride the elevator if it's not safe. <laughs> Another one is when they get in the elevator and they say, oh, I'm sure glad you're in here with me. And then I tell them, well, you'd rather have me on the outside.
0: Fair. Fair enough. 204 780 6868. The throwaway dumb things that people say that drive you batty, whether it's in a customer service situation or just day to day stuff. Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators, investing in your future together. Last night, as part of the CJOB Sports Show, Christian O'Mell and voice of the Blue Bombers, Derek Taylor spent two hours about with and with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers.
2: Yeah, the Blue Bombers have done an almost unimaginably good job at retaining the core of the team, which has been to three straight Grey Cups. The success of a football team, Loren, essentially begins and ends with the starting quarterback.
1: Zach Calero signed a three-year deal even before the 2022 Great Cup, and so the league's outstanding commitment to the Blue Bombers has, of a course, as we know, led the team to securing two other instrumental pieces of the offense.
9: Both Nick Debsky and Kenny Lawler cited you as a reason that they re-signed or signed with the Bombers. How does that make you feel?
10: Oh, well, I mean, it means a lot. Uh, first and foremost, they're great people. Football is a great thing because you get to to make all these friendships and relationships, and, uh, you know, those are two guys, you know, that I'm pretty close with. You know, Nick obviously um, being there last year as well, our relationship got closer, and it means a lot. You know, it kind of caught me off guard there. didn't didn't even realize, but I was sighted by both those guys uh, for reasons to stay. But we do keep in, in constant communication. Obviously, with Kenny last year, it was a little tough because he was in Edmonton. But right after the season ended, you know, I was texting him and and sending him clips of plays of, you know, things that we could do if he's back. And uh, both great guys, and uh, that, made, that made me happy. I appreciate that.
9: <laughs> I asked that to Dembski because I thought, oh, it just whether it could have been a coincidence, right, that you're both now signed for three years. But I didn't even get the question out. And he's like, no, no, that's when I knew I wanted a long term deal with the Bombers. And you get the same thing, right? You get to work with other elite players and that must be pretty special, honestly.
10: Yeah, I mean, I'll say this too to kind of, you know, go along with what Nick was saying. You know, when I was, you know, going through the negotiations with the contract extension, you know, one of my priorities was, you know, talking to Nick and talking to guys like Stanley and Patty, you know, Yosh, Rashid, you know, obviously hoping that Kenny would come back at some point, but just, you know, you know, putting it in their ear. Hey, I'm about to do this, you know, let's let's kind of keep this thing rolling, you know, just kind of feeling those guys out. And, uh, you know, everybody was on the same page. Um, you know, obviously we talk a lot about the culture and, you know, that's in the locker room. But, uh, again, just an amazing group of guys. And not surprising that
0: everybody wanted to come back and give another go. Um, now, the, now the architect of it all is, of course, general manager Kyle Walters. Derek asked Walters this about his group of pass
9: catchers. This bomber's receiving core, best in the league or best in the league?
11: We're, we're 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 real excited with the group we have how's
9: that you i know what <laughs> what excites you about it what what makes you excited i can tell you what makes me excited but what makes you excited well i mean they're good simple as that i mean there's a
11: lot of there's a lot of guys that have had a lot of production there's some uh, a nice mix of veteran guys are canadians americans we're said it it is a good deep receiving core that we
9: uh you know we expect big things out of them this year can a position group be too deep is that possible
11: uh no you know what (laughs) You, you, training camp's a long process, so a lot can happen, so there's there's some depth built in there for, you know, if anything, any injuries, any nicks happen during camp, we can keep rolling, Buck can, Buck can run full speed ahead. So, you know, we'll evaluate where we're at and how the roster shakes down after training camp, but it's a good problem to have with, uh, with a lot of depth at a certain position, that's for sure.
9: What does it mean to you, to the organization, to what you, you all are trying to create there, when Rashid Bailey goes, you know what, I'll take less money and I'm coming back?
11: Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. I mean, it speaks volumes to the group of guys. I think everybody in that locker room still believes that, that we're in a winning mode, and I've said that this offseason, that we're, we're a veteran team, that's for sure. And, and uh, you know, we, we go to three great cups and are close to winning three in a, a row, and, and this group, again, I, I believe they feel uh, they're they're ready to win. We think they're ready to win, and we'll, uh, you know, keep keep rolling with the crew to see if we can get to another one and get a win.
2: So if we as we recap this discussion, keep in mind that just a couple of weeks ahead of free agency, Nick Dembski was unsigned. Dalton Schoen was working out for NFL teams in an attempt or an effort to get an NFL contract. And Rashid Bailey and Greg Ellingson were both set to become free agents. Well, not only did Densky sign a long-term deal, the Blue Bombers ultimately re-signed Bailey, shown will return to the team and the team signed arguably the biggest free agent in the league, Kenny Lawler.
11: It would start last year at the trade deadline where we we were close to having something done with Kenny, then it didn't work out. Uh so when the uh, when we were able to start talking again this year, it was a natural natural conversation and uh, Kenny wanted to be here, and we wanted him here. So then it was just a matter of could this possibly be figured out financially? And uh, it took, you know, it took a little bit of time, a few days to kind of realize. All right, I think they're willing to budge. I'm willing to budge. And, and at some point there, I was like, you know what? I think this is going to get done because. Uh, both sides wanted it to happen and were kind of willing to meet somewhere in the middle.
0: Now, we always like to have a bit of fun with the players on Breakfast with the Bombers, and DT and Christian managed to sneak in one of our favorite questions. One of food He came back to Winnipeg and his favorite places to eat. Little Pizza Heaven's definitely on, on the to-do list. Gotta go get some of that good pizza, some good Jamaican food for Miss Christine's, a uh, Jamaican
7: restaurant. I'm a big foodie, man. I, I just can't wait to get back
12: to the um, end of the city,
7: being around, you know, the good people. And, uh, man, getting back into IG Field really end up playing, man. That's the best stadium. Um, They got the best fans, the best people,
0: and it's just a a good environment to be back. Okay, Little Pizza Heaven, by the way, he's right. Their crust in particular is delicious. They got that garlic crust in their pizzas. agreed. And Miss Christine's Kitchen, I got to get back there. When she came to see us here when we did a show outside and brought some of her food, like some of the best – Chicken I've ever had in my life. The jerk, actually, everything she brought was magnificent. But yeah, uh, so try Miss Christine's kitchen if you want some great Jamaican food.
1: We want to get the last word to Caleros before we wrap this up because this. Got, we've asked this a few times to players over the past three months. Have you or have you not watched the Grey Cup game from 2022?
10: I think it was like a month after, and uh, my wife and I were watching the show, and she fell asleep on the couch, and it, it was just just been in my head you know been, been on my brain for a long time and uh you know i just finally opened the computer sat down and watched it and it, uh it wasn't great it wasn't a wasn't a good rewatch obviously you know myself especially could have played a lot better in that game and uh, you know i think things would have turned out differently but uh we didn't execute at didn't next year a high enough level to win that football game and you know not taking anything away from toronto but you know we made a lot of mistakes just once though that's all you need I've watched it once. I'm sure I'll watch it a thousand more times before the season, but it still feels fresh.
2: I can't watch it. I haven't watched it yet. I have ESPN Classic as part of my cable package, and I watched in the last couple of weeks the 2019 game, the 2021 game. I watched the 1990 east final toronto and winnipeg the other day i ran out of time recorded it watched the end of it the next day but i've yet to watch the 2022 Grey cup i just can't bring myself to do it yet. as
1: an aside how is 2019's game a classic like your 1990 watch makes sense but isn't the point of the classic show classics have to go back no
2: yeah, I you know I don't run the programming on that well, station. I didn't name the station. Like Loren. Like I was, I'm big
1: on the uh, uh, classic <laughs> games, and then you started at 2020, 2019. That just happens
2: to be where they air. Loren. Just, just I'm not, not in charge classic. of these things. You call so. that cla- well. <laughs> it is a classic. It is a classic. It's like
1: classic rock. You know, you can't you can throw out Steppenwolf. Uh, yeah. You can't throw. Out, I don't even know who's popular. Hey, the entire winter special is is available
0: via the Blue Bomber podcast. That's available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And, hey, while we heard some great stuff in that package uh, that Greg harvested from the show last night, I think it's safe to say, that, like we were talking about throwaway lines that we get in certain settings, whether it's customer service or just daily conversation. Safe to say, sports, kind of guilty of lots of uh, throwaway lines. Uh, You know. So, see, so well, what happened last night? Well, you see, the way lost. the game works is um, the team that puts more points on the board is deemed victorious. And we did not put more points on the board than they did. So <laughs> they we get lost. Get the pucks in the net. Yeah, we need more pucks You got to get net. more
1: goals. Got to get less goals against. <laughs> I will say I liked Kyle Walters there when Derek said, what do you like about this team heading into 2023? And he just said, well, they're good simple
0: answer honest it's an honest assessment and it's one that i think brings even more hope and optimism because if they're feeling that good about this team look out cfl the bombers are coming we've all heard them before The medical chimes and alarms associated with emergency machines in the hospital. Well, now a McMaster professor says changing those beeps and boops could impact public health outcomes.
1: So think about this. You've either been in a hospital room before yourself or you've visited someone who has and you think like, how does anybody stand this? So the professor is Michael Schutz and he's the co-author of a study that says these loud alarms are really detrimental to those who work there.
5: There's a big problem now with physician fatigue, particularly during the pandemic, where doctors and nurses will go home and hear this beeping uh, going on continually in their heads. One retired nurse referred to her hospital as a beeping hellscape, which I think captures, unfortunately, the experience.
1: Beeping hellscape, so that's for the staff, but the professor goes on to say that patients obviously can suffer from that fatigue too. You can have that lack of sleep due to the sound of the alarms.
5: But it's not just the healthcare workers. It's also really bad for patients. If you've ever spent time in a hospital, you might have been surrounded by these beeps and boops and they prevent uh, you from getting sleep. And the sleep is actually an important part of recovery.
1: So I know we have a lot of issues in our hospitals right now and there's lots to work on, but can changing those alarms to something less abrasive, like maybe a ringtone to help you recover or help hospital staffs communicate more effectively, is there a way to change that? Because I will admit to just visiting people in hospital Greg, I mean my only experience is having babies in hospital and that's a right. whole other <laughs> You're not thinking about the beeps and bops, you're just thinking get this out of me. Well, but well, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, uh I, I think it's so disconcerting and and it, you don't sleep. You, I definitely did not sleep the one night in hospital.
2: Yeah, I, and I can only speak to my experience in the neonatal intensive care unit. One month of my kids hooked up to a variety of different sensors. And uh, I mean, I'm grateful for the technology, but I can relate to this whole idea completely. I can't imagine being a staff member and the fact that they're hearing these beeps and bops, you know, after they go home from work, that that doesn't surprise me at all, but I know from that one month that we spent, the first week in particular was very stressful because it's brand new to you, and so every... Time, uh, an alarm would go off with regard to an oxygen sensor. Nine times out of ten, it was because the sensor had come off uh, one of the boy's fingers, and so it wasn't measuring. But then there were other times where it was a legitimate alarm, and their oxygenation? The oxygen level in their blood was <laughs> was was lower than it ought to be, or their or their heart rate was too high or too low, and it was actually beeps that that um, I was feeding Alexander one afternoon, and he stopped breathing in my arms, and the nurse came over based on the beeps and bops and knew what was going on because I didn't realize what was going on, and she just looked at me, oh yeah, he stopped breathing, and picked him up by his head and stretched them out, and everything started beeping normally again, and she handed them back to me. But that was very stressful, just uh, learning and interpreting all the bings and bongs and what they meant, when to panic, when not to panic, when to reset the button, when not to reset the button. So I'm, I am I think it's awesome that uh, they're refining things so Minutely into such a, a a point where they're concerned about this in terms of occupational hazards. We've been talking about so much high level stuff. I think it's fantastic that they're finally getting around to things like this that might improve working conditions and uh, your your recuperation as a patient.
0: Well, even working in a restaurant, I don't know how it was because you worked in more of like full service restaurants, Greg, but as I, you know, oh, I worked good in fast point. food yes. and I would, the same thing would happen. I'd go home and I'd hear the beeps because, you know, depending on how busy it is, if things are beeping in the back and you can't get to the alarm because you just, we simply do not have the extra hands to spare. Some of those machines will just beep, 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 good beep point. forever and until that, you turn them off.
1: And that becomes part of the issue though. You'll h- speak to healthcare professionals who'll say like, if, if it's all the sort of same beep, you're, 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 how do you rush to which beep is the one that you need to get to immediately right, to mm. turn it off or to help somebody so they're just looking at it, they're talking about it they're not saying it's going to become like a symphony orchestra of beautiful sounds <laughs> in a hospital, that was one of the professor's terms but that the idea that can you make it a less stressful place starting with those sounds
0: If you hear the cello alarm it means all things are normal but if you hear the harpsichord, you better go running <laughs> One of the things we are discussing, Loren, is home care.
1: Yes, and the idea that there's this Winnipeg man who's sharing his really terrible story with the world so that there can be changes to home care. He's the man you've been hearing about in the news who lost his wife to cancer. She got that diagnosis that she needed to be sent home for palliative care uh, five, six weeks ago, right around the Christmas period. They were told home care would come. Home care never came, and she actually ended up passing away, and then days after she passes away... Home care finally shows up, and so he's calling for changes to the system, better communication, maybe staffing, what have you, and it's dredging up all sorts of stories for people in home care, and we know the workers do... Great work. It's just this idea of how hard it can be. And one of our listeners is a home care worker. They work in rural Manitoba. They have been for years now. And he said, after all these years, we are no further ahead. We have next to zero health benefits. Should we injure our back? Plumbers receive more mileage than we do. And our vehicles get destroyed on the snow and gravelly roads. Coincidentally, I was in physio last week for a pulled shoulder. And in the next room was a nurse telling the therapist that she can't miss work due to being the sole breadwinner, but said she's able to continue her duties because home care workers do the heavy lifting. And so this person says, I wonder if nurses have to pay out of pocket for physio. He has to. He wants to know what the story is. And so basically just painting the picture of all they go through, the work they go through, uh, for potentially not so great reward. The reward might be the work, but it's not necessarily the dollars and cents, Greg. Yeah,
2: and the system celebrates uh, what home home care can do. Well, the value to it, the value of keeping folks out of the the, the, the more expensive uh, personal care homes out of the more expensive hospitals, yet we don't invest in, and ensure that these employees are working under as ideal conditions as possible. In fact, it feels as though they're wringing the face cloth, trying to get as much as they can out of them every single day. Uh, we've heard from home care workers over the years uh, about how they get a certain amount of time for a job and they have to make sure that they they leave one place in order to get to their next call or, or their next patient in time, and they only have so much time to do certain things, regardless of what they show up to. And so, the stress of the job alone, let alone the other factors, is something that I couldn't even imagine dealing with. And another one of our uh, listeners is on the other side saying, Home care, Manitoba. Is an absolute joke. Our family has endured family-managed home care for the past two years through two agencies, Southern RHA and Winnipeg RHA. WRHA has worked against our family every step of the way. Caregivers themselves are awesome, but the administration are likely overworked. Uh, uh, they are also clearly working under the guidelines of making it so difficult for the family to access care that they will give up. Additionally, the amounts of times and pay scales for different services are so unrealistic. It is unbelievable. Until our family was in the system that on the outside sounds so promising, we had no idea how terrible it is to actually deal with. Listening to the announcements from the government over the past few days has been insulting coming from this listener.
0: So continue to weigh in at 204-780-6868, and we'll have more on this through the day. For sure. And a reminder that we have a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza to give away. We're asking you about the throwaway lines, the questions that you hear in conversation, whether it's in a service setting, like a customer service setting, or just in your average day-to-day, like Cheryl. Loren, what does Cheryl say?
1: I hate when people sign off an email with best. <laughs> best what? Best wishes? All my best? <laughs> best is an adjective. That's like me signing an email with blue or Big. <laughs> Or fuzzy. It means nothing, says Cheryl. It's so hard to include the word best. Is it describing? Is it so hard? I guess people are just too busy to type another word.
0: <laughs> oh, that
1: is perfect,
0: Cheryl. I love that. Yeah, that's like, uh, you know, when the the, the young people started to, to reduce the words instead of saying ridiculous, you might just hear, that's ridic. And uh, they can't even complete the word that drives. That actually does drive me nuts when I see that in email. Best.
1: I don't like just cheers. Shut up. Yeah, cheers drives Aww. me nuts too because sometimes it comes at the Aww. end. No, you, I'm a you,
0: cheers you, guy.
2: You,
1: I like cheers when it makes sense, but if, if if it's after, like, don't forget to email in your quarterly statements. Cheers. Like that. Yeah, uh, fair. I'm not having a beer right now. Like that's, that's just, you just, okay.
2: That's that. That's fair. Context. We need to is, have a meeting
1: at 10 a.m. Critical. Loren. Cheers. Yeah.
2: yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. That's dumb.
0: But now we want to return to a conversation that we've been having throughout the morning, Loren, on home care.
1: And we've been sharing that story of the Winnipegger whose wife was sent home for palliative care. She wanted to die at home after a cancer diagnosis um, late last year, was told that home care would be coming, and home care never came. And this man cared for his wife to the end without any assistance. And then days after she passed away, home care arrived. So we're not sure if there was a communication problem, if there was never resources coming to help to begin with, but he's made it his mission now to share his story and to talk more about what might be going on with home care in the city, in this province, because we keep hearing over and over again that home care is a terrific solution for people who are coming out of surgery, for people who might be in a palliative state and don't want to stay in hospital or don't want to go to a home to have some dignity in death and dying at home with the help of home care or to stay and age in home if you want with the help of home care and it has us asking a whole host of questions about the system in this province and this country and and what we should be considering when it comes to shaping the future of home care our next guest is douglas angus he's a professor at the telfer school of management at the university of ottawa good morning doug good morning I'm wondering, you know, when you hear people complain about home care, is it that the system is set up for failure? Do we not have the right people in it? Or is it just too big of a question to even answer, you know, in terms of how we can do better by people who are needing home care in this country?
7: Well, I think if we have we have to go back a little bit in time, when universal health insurance was implemented in the late 50s and the 1960s, uh, it was focused primarily on short-term medical illnesses and injuries that happen in, you know, related to physician services and hospital services. And the system basically is the same now as it was uh, when when it was created back in the late 50s, early 60s. And of course, this was reinforced in the Canada Health Act. So the Canada Health Act really only applies to uh, hospital and physician services. And home care has been the, uh, the poor orphan ever since. And uh, of course, the situation has changed dramatically in, in society, not just in Manitoba, but right across the country, is that we have now a new demographic uh, situation in the, in the country where more people are you know, have lived to a, a longer uh, lifespan, and uh, uh, they, they're dealing with chronic health problems, uh, many of which uh, are not appropriately dealt with in the hospital sector. And wh- where they would be more appropriately dealt with is in home care or good long-term care. And of course, those are the areas that uh, are crying out for resources. And uh, if you take a look at the the, set, the the agreements that have been struck between the federal and the provincial governments across the country, uh, there's a sort of kind of a mention to improving home care, that really we're so far away from, you know, uh, uh, putting in a, a good system of home care so that Aging people can, you know, live at home and deal with chronic health problems as opposed to being stuck in a hospital bed somewhere where they have no business
2: being. Well, and that was, I sort of had three questions here. The first two are more or less yes or no for you, Professor. I've always been under the impression that home care would allow persons to come home earlier from hospital. And and that takes care of a variety of different issues like hospital-borne illness, et cetera, et cetera, and, and better outcomes. That 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 is something that, that we believe to be true, yes? Yeah, it
7: is absolutely and uh uh we have approximately twenty five percent of uh hospital beds being occupied by people who would more appropriately be uh, housed in 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 their own places or in you know an appropriate Uh, recovery, uh, institution, uh, outside of an acute care hospital. So you're absolutely right. Uh, and, and, uh, the last place you really want to be as you're recovering from, you know, uh, whatever condition you've had is in a hospital where, uh, Diseases float around quite dramatically and uh, easily, so uh, you could pick up something that you don 't necessarily uh, want and never intended to to receive when you 're in in a hospital so it's it 's a vicious kind of a circle that we keep going around and around, and we 've been identifying these uh, these issues for at least a couple of decades. Uh, My colleagues and I have uh, done a number of uh, research studies right across the country, which have uh, really indicated that uh, there is a, a really, really important requirement for adequate home care uh, so that we can uh, more appropriately make use of uh, the system that we have in place right now.
2: So hospital beds are very expensive, but so are long-term care beds. So if we have a quality and invest in a home care system, do we keep uh, our population, our aging population, out of long-term care longer?
7: absolutely uh, again uh i think COVID 19 really indicated the uh the, the the real deficiencies in the long-term care system when uh you know when you're housing people two three four in a room and uh uh it's not it's it, it's reasonably you know if you look at it from an economics perspective the unit cost of keeping someone housed in a room with uh, three other people uh, is certainly a low unit cost, but the quality of life in those inst- many of those institutions uh it leaves a lot to be desired so yes we i think uh, adequate home care would be a a really really good option to uh make sure that we don't house people in long term care institutions or leave people li- lingering in in uh, acute care hospitals
0: as our population ages. You know, we're probably going to need more home care workers, but we hear from home care workers who say they, you know, they, it's a stressful job. They don't; their benefits aren't all that great. It's expensive because they don't get to pay for; they got to pay for their own gas. So, do we need to make the job more attractive to to get more workers as the population continues to get older?
7: no i you, you're absolutely right on that one it's uh, if you if you want to attract people into you know a good home care uh, provision uh, you you have to pay the price and uh, i think it's it's not a question of oh where are we going to get the money We in this country already spend more per capita on on health care uh, than many other countries in the industrialized world, so it 's a question of where are our priorities where do we need to shift resources and i think this is the the serious discussion that needs to happen at the policy level uh let's shift the resources out of areas that we don't perhaps need as much of uh as we did in the past and that's what i was saying we we need to shift out of you know the short-term medical illness and injuries uh, many many of which still remain but the emphasis really has changed into chronic health care problems amongst an aging population so let's shift our you know objectives our priorities into you know let's provide really good adequate home care so that we can uh, give people a good quality of life as well as looking after their their particular health needs.
1: When we brought this up earlier this morning and for those just joining our guest is Douglas Angus at Telfer School of Management at the University of Ottawa we're talking about the state of home care In Canada. And Douglas, when we brought this up, one of our listeners said, well, you know, what do we have a money tree, like shake the money tree for all this, but we're talking about better health outcomes for people, but also bottom line, the case has been made long ago that we could actually, could we actually spend less and get more if we had proper home care and have less concerns in our hospital system?
7: Yeah, we did a major study in the uh, mid-1980s, which uh, clearly showed that you could be shifting resources uh, around the system and actually realize some some, uh, significant savings to health care by by spending it more appropriately in areas that are more urgently required. And home care is definitely a lot less expensive uh, than, you know, housing somebody in an acute care hospital or even a long-term care institution.
2: Last question for you comes from one of our listeners here. Is there a country where home care works? Is there is there a model system and if there is why aren't we following it? There there are not just one country.
7: If you take a look at some of the countries over in the European Union and one in particular I think of is the uh, is the netherlands uh they have one of the better home care systems in the, in uh, the european union uh and other countries such as sweden are some of the you know in france there's much more emphasis on you know looking after an aging population than we have in this this part of the world so there are examples uh and th- these these examples have been pointed out to policymakers uh, along the way over the past number of decades but uh Uh, For some bizarre reason, the policymakers don't seem to uh, say, well, you know, maybe uh, that's a different environment. We can't, you know, replicate what they do there. But I beg to differ, and I think a lot of my colleagues also beg to differ on that one, uh, that there are some really good concrete examples of how uh, good home care, even dementia care, uh, can be better handled uh, based on some of the examples that I just provided.
0: Douglas E. Angus, Professor Emeritus, Telfer School of Management at the University of Ottawa. Thank you very much for the time. We appreciate this, sir.
7: You're very welcome. Have a good day.
0: We're going to give away a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. It has to do today with the throwaway lines that drive you bonkers, whether it's in a service situation or just daily conversation. Like one of our colleagues who was out for dinner last night with her family, a couple of young kids. It's like six o'clock, and the server says, So, got any plans tonight? It's like, this is it. Like, what do you what do you think I'm doing?
1: How great do you think my life is that there are plans with my two children after I've wrangled them into a restaurant?
0: Yeah, like did they resurrect dollar drinks at the Oak <laughs> on Monday nights? Like, come on now. So, uh, Al C. says, you could say anything nowadays and get a reply of, right? Or, I know, right? Right? <laughs> Not sure when this one started, but it seems pretty common now.
1: You know another common one? My sister asked me if it was Canadian because she lives in the States. She says we all say... 100% way too much. She had never heard anyone using that. Canadians? That, what? That she so she had just moved from Europe to the States. Yeah. And both my and then we couldn't stop hearing it, you know, so all through Christmas she'd say something and I'd say, "Oh, 100%, 100% you were so right."
2: I use that a lot. And
1: then she was like, I just need to point this out. I have never heard someone use it so much until you came." And then I guess when we had visited them It got into her daily vernacular, and then one of her American friends is like, what's with this 100%? Like, I get it, but, like, stop Where did you get this from? So I don't know if this is just, this is a one-off example. She's using us as her example, but she had not heard that as much as she did the week we were there.
2: Well, well, I was going back and forth with one of our listeners uh, about your welcome and how uh, no problem has become the default when when you say thank you. Uh, Oh, no problem. Whatever happened to your welcome? And once you cross the Manitoba, North Dakota, or Manitoba, Minnesota border, it becomes uh huh. When you say thank you in the states, you like at least fifty percent. You're gonna get uh huh. Never, you're welcome.
0: We always got yup or you bet. Yup we're, or you we're bet. Yep. Going to the states, and we picked up on that. No matter which restaurant we were in, this goes back to like 1990. But yeah, we we noticed that all of the servers, yup, and you bet. And I know a lot of people don't like no problem as a result or no worries. They, they, they take No that, worries. It, oh, it's, that it's off Australian like a, thing. It's like a slight upon them. A, it better not be a problem. It's your, it's your job. But I, I personally don't have an issue with it, but I get why some people do. And uh, Daryl says, I tell the person cutting my hair there's an extra fiver in it for them if we only talk about the haircut. <laughs> so in other, <laughs> in other words, be quiet. Stay on topic.
1: <laughs> That's a hot. Some days you're in a chatty mood, and some days you do want to just sit there and you pointedly put your like earbuds in. <laughs> I'm watching a show. You see this? This is happening.
0: I look for. I look forward to the chats with my barber, oh, but yeah, yeah. If you're just going to uh, like a one-off stylist or whatever that you don't know, you might just want to. Okay, just want relax for however long. You know, for me, it's 20 minutes because there's.
1: Whenever you go for a haircut, though, you you send out a text. Hey, Greg, we get it from Brett, and he's got like 19 story ideas, and I'm like, oh, Brett's had a. (laughs) He's been for the. He's been to the barber. He's 19 different things that we need to talk about on air tomorrow, and they're all great because you've talked to your barber about them.
0: (laughs) He knows all that is happening in the T cones. Want to talk about uh, an announcement coming about a homeless strategy?
1: Well, you can't go anywhere in the city. And, 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 you know, I think there was a time where we felt like the homeless. Problem in Winnipeg was, you know, it was we, we presumed or perceived it to be in a certain part of the city. Where only you only see it if you go to that neighborhood. But you can't drive anywhere in Winnipeg now without noticing people sleeping in bus shelters in the summertime. You'll see tents and encampments, you know, uh, by the University of Manitoba or along the river. It, it, it's pervasive and it's everywhere and it's affecting all of us. And so we've been asking governments what they're going to do about it. We know the mayor has some of his own strategies. Well, he'll be joining Family Minister's Rochelle Squires at 10 a.m. today for what they're calling a homelessness strategy. So what the government has planned on both levels, Winnipeg and provincial, to tackle homelessness. With them will be the CEO of N Homelessness Winnipeg, as well as the head of Home First Winnipeg. They're the folks who are behind those micro-suites that uh, have been announced a few years ago to put people into tiny spaces, but to... The big enough to be a roof over their head. And so I'm curious what might come out of this, Greg, not just in terms of that investment, but solution wise and the home first strategy of getting people into the homes and then helping with mental health and addictions, I think has been key and said for years.
2: Yeah, micro homes, I think, is part of this strategy uh, that could work. I find it uh, bothersome that it's taken you know, panhandling and and people sleeping in bus shelters in the suburbs to really activate our community and to bring this issue to the forefront. I really think that's why it became an issue in uh, the last civic election because it wasn't quote unquote constrained to the parts of the city where it, that it had been for years. That now it was impacting other parts of the city. And so I, I guess I guess that there's a good thing that that's come out of that, but I just don't understand why it takes so long to make decisions. We just talked about uh, the idea that there's home care in other countries around the world. Economically, uh, th- their situations are similar to ours. And we just continue to, to, to study and create these uh, solutions that are made in Canada, made in Manitoba solutions that ultimately take forever to implement. And uh, I, just, I hope there's some real decisions and real action coming out of this announcement today. Not more studies, please and thank you.
0: All right, so we're looking forward to finding out what they have to say. In the meantime, this is a neat story. As part of a NASA experiment, a group of elementary school students in Ottawa wanted to see what happens if an EpiPen was sent up to space. So would the device that treats potentially fatal allergies still work? Global's Turia Isri
2: explains how their findings not only surprised and impressed career scientists but also have real implications for the health and safety of astronauts.
6: What do we need to get done next for Cubes in Space? In this How Ottawa science it. class, the sky is Something not the limit. It's the starting point. Can you just put your computers in politeness mode for a moment? These grade 4 to 6 students at St. Brother Andre Elementary School are in a she gifted program. A Send two different things, like a vial of it with water and then like a vial of it with like demron around it. They're part of a NASA research initiative helping kids launch experiments in space. And these 9 to 11-year-olds are thinking way outside the box. To find out that scientists that have been working for years and years and years on this haven't discovered something and then us elementary school kids discover it, it's really cool. The discovery began with a common medical tool found in schools across the country, the EpiPen, an injectable device that delivers a life-saving drug and reverses the effects of severe allergies. The students had a question, would an EpiPen still work in space? It was pretty cool because we think that NASA didn't know about it. They put samples in tiny cubes sent on board a NASA rocket and balloon. Once the cubes returned to Earth, their contents were brought here to the University of Ottawa, where scientists made a remarkable discovery in the lab.
9: The first part of doing science is asking the right question, and they asked a fantastic question.
6: The answer stunned career chemists. The active ingredient in EpiPens no longer worked. In fact, it became poisonous.
9: There's an interaction with the cosmic radiation that comes when you leave the atmosphere.
6: We were just like kind of in the background just being, just smiling at each other and being like, yes. Next, the students will travel to Virginia in June and present their findings to NASA.
8: Students are very forward-thinking. They're already anticipating um, people going to the moon and then beyond and colonizing Mars.
6: They're also eyeing careers in rocket science. You feel like you're making a real change because a lot of the times it feels like it's just adults. High achievers with curiosity that knows no bounds. Taria Isri, Global News, Ottawa.
1: I love all of this, first of all, because we have EpiPens in our house, and so I'm always fascinated about their use and where they are and the fact that these kids had that 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 moment that bubble aha moment to say I wonder if and as that kid says like I don't think they knew about this like it's just so perfect it's so perfect for how kids act and also why you keep turning to children with questions because it's not just the whole like oh they say the darndest things like they're little geniuses sometimes
2: they're thinking about things that we're not thinking about they don't have the same uh that clouded uh, you know view of things and so yeah they're they're asking things straight from the heart and and to imagine that it becomes poisonous i didn't listen to the story before we aired it i was listening it, to it for the first time i couldn't believe that that was the outcome amazing
1: it's cosmic radiation or something like that i think right that's causing that i, yeah. I, don't, I don't even know what that means but we should actually call the kids up for a conversation about home care and homelessness. Yeah, they probably figured it all Honestly, out. I, I, don't, I don't mean that tongue-in-cheek. Like, no. someone somewhere is just sitting there listening who might be eight years old and goes, you know, wouldn't hurt if...
0: You tried this? We are asking you about the throwaway lines that drive you bonkers, whether it's in a service situation, daily conversation, maybe it's something you say yourself... That is problematic. I know that throughout my broadcasting career, a crutch for me has been, you know, or you know. And sometimes it's just this inaudible, yeah, you know. Like it just, <laughs> like, I turn it into one syllable and I don't even realize I'm doing it until I go back and listen. And it's something I've tried to eliminate, but I, I don't know if it's still there.
2: Were you an NHL hockey player at one point in your lifetime? <laughs>
1: I had said to Brett earlier that I got in this terrible habit of telling stories or saying something or explaining how something was going to work with my camera person that I worked with in Toronto. And I would end everything, Greg, with, you know what I mean? And then finally, he just, he must have just snapped one day. He just, Loren if I how about this if I do not know what you mean I'll let you know I'll let you know in the meantime I get it enough with the sentences that end with you know what I mean
0: were you a fan of Ernest Goes to Camp when you were a kid I don't think so
1: (laughs) it doesn't sound like me
0: Willie
2: Jefferson loves uh, you know what I mean uh, or you know what I'm saying and uh, I love people when you tell them something their immediate reaction always is really no not really I just I just told you six minutes worth of a story it's all made up (laughs)
0: I think it's just one of those things
2: that people use to express disbelief. I understand. It just sometimes feels like they believe you're being disingenuous somehow,
0: and I'm not. Grant and Deborah say annoying throwaway lines. Would you like to try an appetizer uh-huh. this evening? Or would you like to try a dessert this evening? Try being the key word, making it sound like free samples. Sure, just roll over the dessert tray and a fork and I'll try each mm-hmm. one. There's, a, there's
2: sort of a little bit of an uh, implication there that it's uh, not for sale that you could, you could try it, right?
1: Well, one of our listeners says it's the same when you get asked, do you want your bill? No, thanks. See you later.
2: (laughs) Okay, but on the flip side, on the flip side, don't give me the old, I didn't order this. (laughs) How many times did you hear that? You know what? We should
1: flip this another day and have it be the opposite. Like the things that we get from customer service that drive us nuts, but then on the opposite end, if you're in hospitality or customer service, (laughs) there must be those patented jokes that drive Mm -hmm. you nuts.
0: Jay, the mail escort says that they don't like Hot, hot or cold enough for you, Posty? I've never heard that. Do yeah. they, they, mail workers get called Posty? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I my think my they call themselves that. Yeah? Too. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Susan says, I was in hospitality for many years. There's nothing I hate worse than when a server comes up to a table of ladies and says, hi, guys. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a cautionary tale. I know that. The term guys is something that I still say probably too often. Yeah, ladies
2: can be problematic as well now, too. I can remember uh, interviewing somebody and got admonished for using that term. uh, Really? Ladies now. Yeah. Yeah. It's apparently not appropriate any longer.
1: Oh. I mean, you know, if if you're really thinking about it, just assigning gender, period. It would be more just kind of have to come up with, hey, folks.
2: Oh, and then I, I was going back and forth with uh, Susan, and that was my fallback. Folks, ask Kevin Bergen. He used to imitate me. Bye, folks. See you
5: later, folks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Cheryl is our winner, though. Cheryl, uh, what did Cheryl have to say? Loren?
1: Cheryl made us laugh this morning. I hate when people sign off an email with best. Best what? Best wishes? All my best? Best is an adjective. That's like me sending an email with blue or big or fuzzy. It means nothing. <laughs> is it so hard to include the word best is describing? I guess people are just too busy to type another word.
0: Cheryl, congratulations. A $20 pizza gift card for Santa Lucia is coming your way.
1: Simply the best, is this not? Florent you are simply the best. That's how <laughs> oh, I'm stop I'm, it. You know all what?
2: the best? Is it really that difficult to type I, all the best, I think if that's should, what you are inferring? No,
1: maybe they mean simply the best, like... Simply, that's how I'm going to sign off on my email now. it's a declarative statement. Yeah. I'm the best. I am simply the best.
0: Simply the best, <laughs> Loren. Cheryl ah. wins <laughs> the day. You're glue. the best. I think there are several reasons where why most of us decide to live where we do. I've mentioned many times before, I live in Osborne Village. Reasons include I can walk home from work in 25 to 30 minutes, even 20 if I really turn on the afterburners. And then the spot I chose to live in the village is basically two minutes from the grocery store, there's a drugstore, there's a liquor mart, there's a convenience store, there are a couple of convenience stores and a whole bunch of restaurants that I can walk to. So I basically, like I don't even remember the last time I filled up my car with gas. I think it's been two months. That's dreamy. Yeah,
2: well, no kidding. And so, you know, we've heard the conversation around Osborne Village, one of the most densely populated neighborhoods in the country, one of the best, more popular neighborhoods. And for some of us, we live where we do because it's where we can afford to live or we want to be close to friends and family or we want to be closer to work or other places where we spend a majority of our non-sleeping hours. To sum it up in one word, at least for me, it's convenience, convenience. So why then is one form of urban planning under the microscope? Architect, urbanist, columnist and one of our go-to guests here on the start, Brent Bellamy joins us now. Brent, good morning. Good morning, guys. Sorry about uh, I think I phoned you at 605 this morning by accident. Well, that's okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> Brent.
1: He's bad for that. You might get more. Didn't he FaceTime us once?
2: Probably. Yeah. yeah. Really, <laughs> early? Really, yeah. really early? Really, yeah. really early? Yeah. Sorry, Brent. I just, uh, <laughs> anyway, I was okay. thinking about you. Uh, before, you. Before we discuss this conspiracy theory around 15-minute cities, can you talk about the ele- evolution of neighborhoods, urban planning over the centuries? Because isn't that really at the heart of urban planning, uh, the word I used earlier, convenience?
12: It is. I mean, if you think about how cities have been built over time, really in the last maybe 60 years or from the 1950s, it was turned on its head from what it had been for like literally since the Roman times. Um, Cities always were built with uh, high streets, which were sort of the commercial main streets. We had uh, streetcars running down them, public transit, and then gridded streets that connected directly to it, with sidewalks connecting directly to those high streets so people could access things like groceries and the things that Brett was talking about right there. You know, the 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 hardware store, the grocery store, the restaurants—all those things could be walked to with um, quick access to transit that would then take you to other neighborhoods, including downtown. What happened in the 1950s is we began to zone everything, and you can picture how our modern city is built. People live in houses in one area; they live in apartment buildings on the main, you know, the main street like Henderson Highway or whatever. Um, the commercial, you know, the, the grocery stores are now in big parking lots, sort of on the highway, and everything is really segmented, and, and it sort of changed how we live. And it really requires us to then use a car to move between those different things that we use in our lives. And what in in the past we could just sort of walk to those amenities, and then when the city grew, we just extended the high street and then extended the grid. But now we're sort of building these islands, you know, in the in the distance, like Sage Creek, as an example, was built completely alone. And now we're having to connect it to the city and to all those amenities.
1: So when we talk about this concept of a 15-minute city, there's a conspiracy going around. But when the 15-minute city, is it just that I would commute within that 15 minutes, no matter how I'm commuting?
12: The 15-minute the city thing is really just a branding exercise. Okay. It's sort of talking about how we used to build cities that I just described. And it's the idea is that that people living in cities should be able to access their daily needs. And whether that's employment, grocery store, health care, education, recreation, the community club, you know, the hockey rink to play shinny at within a 15 minute walk or bike ride. So it's really decentralizing the city. It's not, you don't have to go downtown to go to work, but, and it really came out of the The pandemic people saw cities began to see that how important it was to have a neighborhood with all those amenities that you can get to really conveniently and quickly and that's sort of the the genesis of the 15-minute city but it's really just a way to say this is how we used to build cities and maybe we should go back to doing that
0: so what is the conspiracy theory what's it all about
12: brent it's pretty funny actually so um, the 15 minute city thing was embraced by Paris, France coming out of the pandemic. And they've spent millions and millions of dollars um, building their city in a different way. And it's really transformed how people move around their city. The bike lanes are everywhere now and they've built new parks and transformed different pieces of their, their city to really make them these 15 minute neighborhoods. Um, and so other cities have started to, to um, follow suit. Edmonton was one of them and, it, and there was a, a huge uh, rally against it a couple of weeks ago in Edmonton, and sort of what 's happened was um, the cities divide divide their cities in sort of two kilometer radius circles, which is the fifteen minute walking distance and um, in Oxford, England they actually they, they started to do this it was their sort of their long term plan, but at the same time they were working with um, ways to reduce traffic congestion, and they had come up with a couple of different ways. One was sort of blocking through traffic, so if you're people were driving sort of through neighborhoods to get to the bigger streets, and it was creating congestion on residential streets, so they sort of stopped that. Um, and they created this thing called traffic filters, which was really a, a red light cameras kind of thing, to and and allowed people gave gave people a hundred passes per year to drive into the downtown so really it was on those, on those sort of congested streets so the idea was that if you're if you can only go on say Portage Avenue 100 days a year to get to downtown you're really pushing everybody else to Notre Dame Avenue or, or you know other streets so then it sort of pushes the traffic onto alternate routes and reduces the traffic on Portage Avenue as an example. There's no restriction to go anywhere but you would have to take Notre Dame instead of Portage for the other days and so what happened was the conspiracy became. Uh, they sort of brought all those things together and said that, "Oh, look, what's going to happen in the future is once we have these 15-minute neighborhoods, they're going to blockade us into those neighborhoods and never let us leave." Sort of like a, you know, a dystopian movie. And it's it, like obviously that's not what's going to happen, but that's sort of what's, how the conspiracy theory has come. That they're, it's all going to happen slowly, but eventually these. Um, Traffic calming measures will be barricades that keep people into their 15-minute cities neighborhood.
2: Well, of course, some people will say you're just being paid to say that this isn't what's happening. But we'll move on on from that ridiculousness. I'm thinking of two things. Uh, uh, one that I, I lived with in Calgary once upon a time, something called bus traps, and these were these roads kind of like a, a cattle, uh, like a cattle gate. Uh, Cattle Great, where the only vehicles that could use uh, certain roads in and out of certain neighborhoods in Calgary were transit buses. If you tried to go in with your car, you literally would be trapped. You'd fall into these things. And Crazy, so I, I didn't
12: know about that.
2: <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll send you. i send you something about that. So that was that was an effort to uh, segment and make sure that people were using the proper infrastructure to get in and out of yeah. these new suburbs, in particular in uh, Southwest Calgary, and then of course, um, play streets in Amsterdam. I've watched the documentary on how play streets in Amsterdam came into being. In thousand nine hundred and seventy two when kids said, yeah. that were living in downtown Amsterdam said, "Hey, we need a place to play, and so certain streets in Amsterdam became closed to traffic
12: it 's exactly that and if the traffic they call them traffic filters in in england they 're common in england they're just they 've caught fire in Oxford because of this um conspiracy but it 's exactly that you can still walk through, you can still ride your bike, you can still take a taxi, you can still take transit, you can take a scooter you can there's, Any other way other than a car on those days when you don't have a pass, you can go through. So you're not barricaded in your neighborhood. You just have to think of different ways to get there. And you can still even drive there. You just have to take Notre Dame instead of Borge Avenue.
1: You used uh, Sage Creek as an example here, Brent, just talking about how we have to build these suburbs and then we have to connect to them with our roads, with our infrastructure, with our buses. But I've noticed in a lot of these newer suburbs now too, what's being built in is is these mini little villages within them. Have you been out to, say, Sage Creek or Bridgewater lately and they've added all these shops and restaurants in theory that people stay in that suburb? And I don't mean barricaded. I just mean to try to make that suburb more than what suburbs of past years were.
12: It is. It's, it's definitely improved uh, urban planning for, for new suburbs and uh, it is definitely the way to move forward. There still is issues with distance being so far sure. away that think about how much road and, and even just the sewer line that runs all the way to Sage Creek from the mm-hmm. city centre and all of those things. Or we buses. Still have those buses. Buses exactly, fire, um, police, all those things uh... distance affects the cost of that to the to the population but it is a much better quality of life to have things in your in your neighborhood in the past we would literally just have houses and now we're building sage creek as an example it has lots of multifamily. it's still not integrated there's still no corner stores there's still no apartments integrated into the neighborhood they're sort of on the highway and the commercial is on the highway and everybody has to sort of drive to it even if you lived in sage creek most of the time you would drive to those things so it, it would be great to make it more integrated and have commercial and you know corner stores and have the things right integrated into the neighborhood. But it's a big step forward to at least have multi uses in new developments.
0: And, well, and the 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 occasional corner store still exists. Uh, but is, would the would a corner store situation like let's say more of them started to pop up uh, just based on the way things work right now? Would they even have a chance at surviving?
12: Well, first, they're illegal in almost every place. And even when there was one that burned down in Osborne Village, and it had to be rezoned because it was illegal, even though it had been there for 100 years. And all new neighborhoods, you can't have commercial space in residential neighborhoods. That's just the way the zoning works. Um, But you also need things like density. You can't just throw a corner store in a cul-de-sac neighborhood because there isn't enough density. There's not enough people able to walk to it to support it. So once, if you want, I always say that we should design cities by locating the corner stores and then move out from there to everything that, all the decisions should be, how do we support that corner store? Because that means more diverse neighborhoods, that means more density, that means better connected um, transportation, sidewalks, bike lanes, to get people to that corner store. And then it begins to create a a quality of life that is more, has more mobility options and has a little bit more density, more affordability, more diversity of, of the people that live there to support it. So I... I think corner stores are a wonderful thing, but we, they're, they're literally illegal in almost every neighbourhood, even our most urban neighbourhoods. And if we thought about them as the catalyst for building great neighbourhoods, that would be how I would move forward, to be honest. I, I love the idea of using the corner store as the catalyst to build great neighbourhoods.
0: Brent Bellamy joining us live on 680 CJOB, architect, urbanist, columnist, talking about the 15-minute city conspiracy. Brent, always a pleasure. Thanks for your insight.
12: Thank you. Anytime.